0: Shavuotov everyone Shavuotov Malava Malka you know by the Hasidim why was Malava Malka so important because we know in psychology that the bigger they come the harder they fall they so translate translated into our terms the higher you get the bigger the fall the Shabbos, you reach the absolute heights. And then, we know that's why we have the Samin and the Havdala We're told when the Neshama Yatera is taken away, if you're really sensitive, you really feel it. and are in Shabbos for 24 hours with the Neshama Yatara and all of a sudden it's, it's gone. So we smell something sweet to, to revive us. Uh, the Hasidim, they took this like, very seriously, because the Hasidim used to get very high in Shabbos. And so the Motzi Shabbos would come, and there was a danger of really like, like falling. So they make the Lava Malka in order to not just extend Shabbos, but to make a safe landing. Malava Malka is like a safe landing, and of course there is no better way to do it than to music and telling some stories. It's going to be a little bit different kind of Malava Malka and, and that this week, that this week at Mincha, we begin next week's Parsha and it begins God appeared to him in the plains of Mamre and he was sitting by the opening of the tent like the heat of the day like the heat of the day so it's explained that Avram Avinu wrote we'll say wrote but he transmitted what later was written down as the Sefer Yetzirah perhaps the oldest Kabbalistic text in existence comes from Avram Avinu Sefer Yetzirah and it's hinted to in this passage that Avram was sitting at the opening of the tent. He, and that's when God came to him. So in other words, what was he doing? He was sitting in meditation. He had just gotten brit milah. And he had just reached a new level of spirituality. We were talking about that at lunch. He just reached a new level of spirituality and he was meditating on this new level and that's when God came to him. And so therefore this Malama Malka is not going to be one of those jump up in the chairs and clapping and and, and dancing. It's going to be a much more meditative type of experience and we will be singing, we invite everyone to sing along with us, but uh, we really invite you to go very deeply into your neshama and to experience the music, experience the, the shalom, the shalva, and it should help us make a safe land. I want to say that uh, I just met Yaakov Dov uh, 36 hours ago but I'll already say what uh, a pleasure just to play with my good friend Yaakov Dov and, uh, and we're looking forward to this I hope you, I hope you will feel the same Okay, so we're going to mix up Shlomo Negunim with some of my originals and some of Dr. Dove's originals and some Shlomo. Second like Yaakov were the three meals of Shabbos, and David Melech Malcham Shiva is Malava Malchah. And it's said by tradition that he really began Malava Malchah. that he had a, a nevuah, a prophecy that he would pass away on Shabbos. And in the end, he did pass away on Shabbos. So every time he got to Monthly Shabbos, the cell phone would ring and he'd say, Who is it?" And God would say, You have another week. And he'd say, Thank you so much. And then he'd turn off the cell phone and then he'd make him a Lava That's a modern agudah. <laughs> But we're told that that's where Malav Malka comes from that David and Melech would make a party on month Shabbos because he had another week. And if you remember see if that was about anyone else okay but there's a teaching that David and Melach had no years to his life. Somehow he was he had he a the Shama that was supposed to come into the world but he had no years apportioned to it so it says that Adam and the Arizal said that the three letters of Adam the Aleph is Adam the, the Dalet is David and the Man is Mashiach so Adam looks and sees that David has no years of his life so he donated 70 years of his life to David Amelach. That's why Adam lived to be 930. He was supposed to live to 1,000. So he lived 930 years, and the 70 years he gave to David Amelach. And in the Gemara, David is, is described as a bar nazla, which is a miscarriage. So the, the existential experience of David's soul was that he had no time. And so every moment to him, it was as if he was being reborn. That's why he wrote in one of his Tehillim that God said to him, yola Today I have given birth to you. Because for David, every, not just every day, every moment, part of his neshama felt as if it had no hold on this world and the other part was aware that he was in this world and so therefore that's, that's what we can understand the, the depths of David's I don't know I want to call it despair we'll call it the depths of the pain that comes to some of the Tehillim and also the heights of the praise that came through David. And they were from the two different aspects of his soul. So this is Reb Shlomo's original David melah from, uh, from the 70s. three times it was traditional and now uh, I, I had the great privilege for off and on over 20 years to, to sit across from Rav Shlomo when he would do Shalashudas and I said at the Shalashudas here that Rav Shlomo said that Friday night is high Shalashudas is deep and his, his aura of Shabbos Shudas was completely different than it was Friday night or even Shabbos day he was in a very, very meditative, deep place and he was always trying to pull down one more Torah that would pull the whole Shabbos together and for twenty years he sang this nigga to this mother done think everyone understands is that we read the stories in the Torah, we read Gomorrah, we read Midrashim, and some of them are pretty way out. And sometimes when you hear a Hasidic story, so our first inclination is, did that really happen? Is it not just a little exaggerated? And then sometimes whatever the the, the storyline is happens in your own life. Something very similar to the story happens and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, like that story, it must be really true. It just happened to me. So this is the deepest way to integrate Torah is that when, not just that we understand that it's relevant to our lives, we do that. But when something happens in our lives to confirm a story or an incident that we've heard, then it gets all the ways in. So this is, it's a personal story. I won't call it a Hasidic story, but maybe I'm a little bit of a Hasidic—the <laughs> Hasidic story. But this was a uh, a peak moment in my life. And I'm sharing it with you because it has to do with this week's Parsha. So it was in 1983. And uh, at that time I was in my mid-30s. shouldn't have given that away. But, and I had uh, three children already. And at that point I was called to the Israeli army. And so I went, and we were sent to, uh, to basic training in a place called Bat Shalosh, which is a, a couple of kilometers from Shechem, Nablus, and we were there 24 hours. Most people, including myself, didn't know which side of the gun was like you shoot from or you hold, right? 24 hours later, we're going to sleep and they say don't, you can't take your shoes off tonight because we might have to do an action in the middle of the night. So we thought this is, like, this is the biggest joke in the world, right? <laughs> we're here 24 hours and so we thought they were just, you know, like a psychological, maneuver sure enough in the middle of the night they come and they take half of us to man a machzom uh, a blockade around Shechem because uh, there had been a terrorist killed the day before and there was going to be a big funeral they were expecting a lot of trouble so that was my introduction to the Israeli army but everyone was around my age our officers were li- almost young enough to be our children almost and uh, we went through this basic training it was in winter there was no heat anywhere on the base and it gets colder we're up in the mountains there and we're all family people and after, you know, as it's getting towards the end of Tornu, we're like more than ready to go home, to say the least. And then we get to the end of Tornud and they do what's called the Tekas Hashba'ah, a swearing and ceremony. And so in the beginning of the day, they, we had to start marching in formations and kind of doing all these fancy things with our guns because all these officials come. And the whole day, we could not be more cynical or crack more jokes about this whole, um, what we thought ridiculous uh, swearing and ceremony was gonna be. Here we are, you know, in our mid thirties, professional people and we're like marching around like toy soldiers and we just, it was like we were at the end and this went on all day long so I just have to describe to you what the connection is with the Parsha is where Shechem is is right by two mountains that you might have heard in the Torah Hara and Hara this is a place where when the Jewish people came into Israel half of the tribes stood on one of the mountains and the other half stood on the other and the Kohenim were in the valley below and it's literally like that you have two mountains and a valley and that's where they made a covenant with God with reciting the blessing and the curse and this place where we were was right under these two months. and so it's it's getting dark now it's getting time for the this uh, swearing And ceremony and uh, we made uh, with paper bags this is they do in Israel paper bags with sand in it and you put candles in them and it makes the paper bags glow and we made this long line and where we were was in the middle of a the, uh, the field, there, there's no light there. And it gets darker and darker. And you could see these two mountains silhouetted in the distance. And like right in between them was, were these lanterns. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden I flashed on this week's Parsha what's called Brit the covenant of the pieces where God makes the covenant with Avram on the land of Israel and also that he will be our God and we will be his people this is the first real covenant at the end of the parsha is the Brit Milah but even before Brit Milah was Covenant called the Breath Benefitine, the covenant between the pieces. And in this vision that Abram has, he passes through these um, sacrifices and he, he sees a vision of a, a flaming torch and a smoking uh, like chimney. So I'm, I'm standing there and I'm like remembering this event in Abram's life. And like I started to shake. This was like it was beyond awesome. And then we literally marched through these torches and I, I felt as I was, I was in the story of Lechocha I felt I was, I was part of, of this covenant and then we all stood there and, and this is I mean, technically a, a secular army event and the commander whoever it was opens up to the Book of Yeshua and starts reading about how the Jewish people came into Eretz Israel, and how God is promising that we will be able to conquer the land Yeah, I, I'm standing there and I'm looking around at everyone else and like I said all of us were so cynical the whole day I'm telling you, half the people that were crying. I was—I was literally. I, I, it's one of the only times I could say this. I was shaking in my boots. It was such an awesome experience. It was such an awesome experience. And then it, they gave each person a Tanakh. Gave each person a Tanakh, and this was our like our in, our induction into the Israeli army and I realized as we were reading the book of Yoshua, that possibly 3300 years have passed but we are in the exact same situation today exact same situation and for me this was uh, an experience of, of a lifetime later, a few years later this is when my Rabbi Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsberg had a yeshiva at Keber Yosef this was the yeshiva that in, in the Intifada in 2000 where the Arabs came in and they literally ransacked the yeshiva and they burnt down you can't burn the tomb it's, it's made of stone but they burnt the whole place but before this I, I was at the yeshiva and and Rav Gensryk said you, you want you want to come someplace with me so I said yeah so we walked not far from Kever Yosef on the outskirts of Shem and we came to a place that was very close to right in between the two mountains and the city of Shechem pretty much ended there and it was Shechem was on the right, so if you just kind of turn a little bit you couldn't see the city at all and we're standing under these two mountains, much closer than I was at this experience, like, like right there and he said to me that there is a Midrash that the Brit Benevitarim happened in the valley between the two mountains and I was like I couldn't believe it I'd never heard this before I couldn't believe it that made the whole original experience like even deeper even deeper so for those who are here today I ended my my drasha by saying that in, in this week's parsha God promises, for the first time, He promises the land of Israel to the Jewish people forever. And my brother then, as it is now, that we have the merit to, to see this fulfilled. We, we have the land now, but it's not clear as a people that we have the We have the wherewithal, spiritual,
1: physical, we certainly do.
0: But it's not clear that we have the spiritual wherewithal to hold on. And so, since this is this week's Parsha, uh, I can't think of a better time to to think about how important it is, how how important Earth's Israeli is. So, this just reminds me of a song of Rachel Meena that the prophet Jeremiah said call the rama the rama there is a sound coming out of rama a sound is heard Rachel al aldena Rachel is crying for her children and then the end is the shavu banim that the prophet is promising Rapha, your children will come back to their borders. So this is one of Rosh uh, Chodesh songs. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. and uh, we'll play a song it's another
0: this is a funny thing it's called open tuning and open tuning is not just as a chord that is when you play it open
2: but it's open to all those who can't play the guitar to sound like they can that's <laughs>
0: I told Janko Delt this this story that uh, I picked up the dulcimer around 30 years ago and I just kind of played around with it for many, many years. And then I started playing it in front of groups. I was very nervous. I would blow it half the time. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it won't. The, The tuning kept on going off. And so one day, in frustration, I put the dulcimer down and said, "That's it." And it stayed there for 15 years. And then, around five or six years ago, my wife said this out of the blue, it was right before my birthday, and she said, "If I would get the the pegs, these this used to have pegs here, wooden pegs that just wouldn't stay in their place, so it would go out of tune." She said, if I would get the pegs changed and it was easier to tune, would you start playing again? So I just said, sure, didn't even think about it, I said, sure, and so sure enough, she got the pegs changed and presented to, to me for my birthday present, and so I took the dulcimer outside, it was a pretty awesome moment, you know, after 15 years, and I sat under a tree at the end of my yard that I had planted as a little tiny sapling, and now it was this enormous shade tree. And I sat under there and I was just like holding it on my lap because, you know, that first time you go and visit, like this is going to be auspicious. This a picture of the tree that's um, true there it is there it is <laughs> there is a tree <laughs> and so I just started playing and the first half of the song is exactly what came out I added the second part later but the first thing I did, this is, this is what came out
1: to get visas to some other country that would receive them. And the story goes like this, that uh, Robert Carbach, Naftali Carbach's father, and, and 200 families from the community all got out at the same time and were waiting for these, the second visa. And every day, rabbi Carbach would go to the American embassy and, and wait to speak to the consul the appointment kept getting put off and put off and the time was running out on the pieces from from Austria what were they going to do so it was the, the last day and they were about to give up hope and Rabbi Karbach was staying in this guest house and he fell down two flights of stairs and broke his leg in several places so Somehow, they got an extension on this uh, initial visa. They were able to stay another two weeks. And that was it. And again, the time is dragging out, out, out. And he's coming in every day on his crutches in intense pain to wait his turn to speak to the consul. Finally, he gets a turn. And he comes in to speak to them. And the consul says to him, Rabbi Karabach, I hear you're an expert on Tanakh so he understands okay something's going on here I hear you're an expert on Tanakh and something has always bothered me how could it be that King David the lofty King David could fall so low with the incident with Bathsheba it's where Rabbi Kavach knew that his life and children's life and the lives of these 200 families are hanging on this answer to this question. So he takes a deep breath and he remembers this scandal that had happened recently where one of the monarchs, I don't remember which one of the European monarchs, had been found in, lying drunk in the gutter after a night of carousing with prostitutes. And it was all over the equivalent, European equivalent of the National Enquirer and he said, do you remember this scandal about this king who was found, you know, like drunk in the gutter? And how, how could this be that someone of, of royal blood would stoop so low? But the truth is, is, the difference between King David and any other king is that when Natana Nabi, the prophet came to him to rebuke him, instead of making all kinds of excuses for himself and trying to get out of it, try to cover up he said Chatati. I have sinned. I did wrong and I regret it show me the way to do church. and with this like my husband taught this, this morning in the in Russia avod siman that the deeds of the of our ancestors paved the way and with this David and Melech paved the way for all of us to do truth the consul liked this answer very much and accepted it and told Rabbi Karlbach that he would give his family exit visas to the United States. But Rabbi Karlbach said, if you give exit visas to my family, you must also give to the 200 families that are with me from my congregation. And he agreed. And that is how they very well know Karabakh shul started. That's when uh, Rabbi Naftali came to, to New York and made his way to Zemini West End between West End and Riverside Drive. The rest is uh, a little piece of the Karabakh history. And this is also the celebration tonight of David Melch Malka Mashiach. David Melch king of Israel was the humblest of all people. Ha'iti Shafal Be'inai. If he said, and I will dance even more than, than this and make myself look silly to give honor to God. And so you know, on the merit of, of people being willing to admit when they are wrong, to be able to look for a way to do tshuva, to repair the world. <laughs>